ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back in to the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather, and as promised, joining me right now, our friend from the Advocate Times, Picune, and NOLA.com on the beat covering the New Orleans Saints, Mr. Luke Johnson. Good morning, Luke. How are you? Scott, good morning. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, just uh, a little nervous with uh, this big storm, I guess, in 2020. What do you expect at this point? Um, but uh, with a month left in hurricane season, sheesh. I, why, don't, why don't we start with that, though? I know that um, Sean Payton is is meeting with the media a day late. on Everything's a day later this week, right, because they're playing Monday night. But uh, the rumblings of this game potentially getting moved because the, the previous discussion was, oh, well, what about fans in the stands? Now it's what are they going to do if they can't play the game there? What are you uh, hearing or, or expecting in regards to that game Monday night? Uh, you know, what I'm expecting is they're going to take as much possible time to decide. They're going to let, you know, the, the track get a little bit more clear. Um, and then they're going to be as flexible as humanly possible. I'm sure they've got uh, contingency plans in place, uh, to, you know, potentially move this thing and, and go, uh, go play at a different site. Um, I'm sure they've been in contact with the Chargers because, you know, obviously these are these are moving pieces for everybody. Um, but I, I imagine they are going to uh, to let this play out as long as possible and uh, and try to get this thing in at home. And if it comes down to, to it just being clear that they're not going to be able to do that, they'll they'll uh, you know, explore playing in other places. I, I imagine they've all, they've probably already got like a site in mind. So we'll see. I, I, I don't know. This is just like you know, kind of exactly what we expect at this point of the year, right? <laughs> it's October in 2020. Everybody's had to like shift every single aspect of their life around 300 times already. So what's a you know category four hurricane thrown into the mix? Everybody's used to dealing with this stuff already now anyways. I'll have the, the hatches battened down at my house and you know, a motorcycle moved off the street and uh, <laughs> be adaptable just like everybody else is. Yeah, just, you know, hope and pray for the best. Uh, but in regards to the Saints, the fact that it's on Monday night and the fact that it's in the COVID year, there's there's that luxury of being able to wait longer because you don't have to worry about, you know, the ticket sales and game day revenue and a lot of other stuff it's a lot easier for them to potentially move a game to another site this year and not have to do it so far in advance the way maybe, you know, some college teams, they were talking earlier about LSU moving their game to Mizzou and things like that. So they've got some flexibility here. I don't know what the cutoff point is, but in regards to the NFL this year, they've, they've definitely got some time. There's no rush here. Okay. I imagine that by tomorrow they'll have an idea of what they're going to do just because of the travel, um, involved, um, you know, obviously Los Angeles is making a cross country trip. Um, you want to know what you're going to be doing within a couple of days advance. Say, you know, if, if the game, let's say, let's say the game is played in Los Angeles and the saints have to figure out, okay, how are we going to then plan for this completely unexpected trip? Um, and you find a, hotel accommodations that are not only like going to be able to fit an entire football team and staff in, uh, but they're going to be able to do it safely and following their, their usual COVID protocols. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of additional pieces to this because of the pandemic um, where, where they're going to have to 
they're going to have to make a decision fairly quickly on this. Um, yeah. And it's, it's not as, it's not as, as like you were saying, it's not as difficult as it would normally be in some respects because they don't have to worry about fans and all that stuff and, you know, paying back season ticket holders. But um, they, they do have some additional things to, to take into account before they make that call. So I, I imagine probably by tomorrow we'll, we'll know at least something. Luke Johnson, our guest, Saints beat writer, ESPN 1420. Um, looking back at the win last week against Detroit with all of the madness leading up to it, let's start with that part of it because I, 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 was, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was writing a little story for the website about the LSU game, and my wife was, was helping out with her family, so she wasn't home, and I just had the kids, and I finally got everyone to sleep, and like I, everything was done, and I, I'm so glad that I just shut my phone off and I think I missed it by like two minutes, the news of the Saints having a positive test. So by the time I checked my phone the next morning after I'd fed my kids, I got an alert on my phone like Saints game back on. And I'm like, wait, what what, what happened? And then I, I was able to sort of detail, you know, of course, I follow you and a few others that do a great job of covering the Saints. And I'm like, oh, OK, so. He had it, then he didn't, then they tested the running backs and they weren't sure if they're going to ha- have a game, then they did. Like, you are you were in Detroit and other members of the media. Did you guys sleep or was, like, how fluent was that situation for you guys? Uh, I mean, you, you got to realize that, that Detroit is also the Eastern time zone. So uh, when when this was all coming out, it was about uh, about 11 o'clock Central time, but it was midnight Eastern time. Um so I mean, I was I was like just like I just turned off the light and I was like settling <laughs> oh, into bed. That's rough. Just my phone kept going off and I'm just like, come on, man, not now, not now, please. But I, I, this is this is the the name of the game in 2020, right? It's all about being flexible and it's all about problem solving. And um, this is going to be the case. I'm sure it's, it won't be the last time this year that um, they're, they're going to get a positive test. And there's a possibility it's a false positive and, and they got to go through the whole rigmarole. You know, it, it, they, they had to do that obviously. Uh, Cause they, they couldn't, you know, not, not only with Michael Burton, but they, they couldn't risk putting uh, the guys Michael Burton was around out in the field because then you're risking literally everybody else. And if, if Michael Burton tested positive, they, they probably couldn't have played that game. Like if he actually tested positive because, uh, you know, there's chances that that other guys were infected that you didn't catch with the tracers, and and if one guy gets out on the field and he has COVID, um, you, you're potentially uh, endangering a, a hundred guys, you know, uh, just because of the way football is played. So it, it's just like uh, it's it's a crazy situation. It was a crazy situation on Saturday night, Sunday morning, whatever you want to call it. Um, Burton was up till five. He was just so stressed out worrying about it. And he had to be at the stadium by, I think they were there at like 11 or something like that. And, you know, they're they're probably three hours before the game. So it's not like he got any sleep before playing. Um, but, you know, Sean Payton was, was saying after the game, and I think he's, there's, there's an element of truth to this in, in that, like, you know, no, nobody should really feel sorry for him. Um, because this is just this is just kind of what they they signed up for this year. The guys had a chance to opt out, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that their their health and safety is is not above anybody else's, but um, yeah, they 
they understand the risks and they're they're choosing to participate in it despite those risks and despite the the potential for things to go haywire at the last minute on a Saturday night before you're supposed to play it at noon the next day. Um, so, I, I mean, it was a crazy night. You know, by, by the time I went to bed, um, it was still uncertain. And by the time I woke up, they'd figured out it was a false positive and they were going to play. So I, I just, uh, I certainly hope that's the last time I have to deal with that again this year, but I'm, I'm not, you know, counting my chickens before they hatch. I'm sure I'll have to deal with that again this year. No doubt. Luke Johnson, our guest, ESPN 1420. He is a Saints beat writer at by Luke Johnson on twi- Twitter. I think just like you guys, there. look, you know the name of the game, and yet you're on the road. So like you've made the travel. You, you're in Detroit. You know, you're traveling back on Monday. It's like, boy, I really hope I didn't come all this way to not cover a game. So you got to cover it. Um, and despite the Saints being down a bunch of starters and, you know, not getting a ton of sleep, I mean, you mentioned Michael Burton being up all night. He had a, a nice little third down run that ended in a first down. The Saints were great on third down, and I, it, it just felt like their best game of the year, at least after the first three and a half minutes when they were down 14 nothing. The rest of the way was pretty smooth until Ramchek's concussion. Um, but, you know, you wrote about this. Uh, yesterday, I was reading it last night, the second look piece you did. I loved it, you know, just breaking down a lot of the, the key plays and the clutch moments from that game. And I take notes as well when I'm watching the game, and I'm thinking to myself, this fourth down play right here, like, we might look back at this one, like, before they snap the ball, I was like, we might look back at this play as one of the bigger plays of the whole season, depending on what shakes out from here. Now, I think because the Saints, even though they only won by six, they sort of really looked good for a while and kind of got rolling. It didn't maybe feel as big uh, an hour after it happened. But I think once the dust settled, and you did a great job, you know, kind of breaking down this play, I think that fourth down throw from Breeze, which was his best pass of the year, to, to Camaro, who's just, who's just unbelievable. I mean, what, what an incredible football player. Like, it's the reason that, that you broke that thing down in terms of a clutch play and how big it was. I think we look back at that one, Luke, not just this week, but I think in future weeks we're going to look back at that as being one of the bigger plays of this season. I agree. Uh, it, it was a huge situation. Sean Payton said after the game that his plan going in was uh, to be aggressive. And if they were on the, the Detroit Lions side of the 50 and you know, it was a manageable situation, they were, gonna, they were planning on going forward on fourth down. But you, you think about the situation. They were down 14-7. to seven. They'd, they'd taken a little bit of the momentum back with that long touchdown drive. But if they don't get that play there, Detroit has the ball near midfield and um, you know, with a chance to go down and, and, uh, and take a two-touchdown lead again and really assert itself and be in control of that game. Um, you know, it, it took a lot of guts to, to call that play. And then on top of that, you know, they're, they're not calling a play that's going right for the sticks. They're calling a play that's going deep downfield. When I think uh, Next Gen Stats calculated that at, at traveling 34 yards in the air on fourth and four. Um, you know, they, they trusted their guys and, and really they're probably their two best offensive players with Michael Thomas out to go make a play. And you know, the, the, the coverage lined up perfectly for them and you know, they motioned Alvin Kamara out. Um, they were facing man coverage and they had a single high safety uh, so they could take a shot downfield and, and know that um, you know, the safety had a lot of ground to cover. And all really it boiled down to was, was Alvin Kamara going to beat his guy? 
And yeah, I, I've been wanting them to take these these downfield shots with Alvin for two years now. Uh, yeah, they, they didn't really do it a lot last year. They haven't done a lot this year where they, they just really kind of rely on him to be the, the check down guy and to make a catch and make a play. But he's obviously got ability. And a lot of times it, you think about motioning him out, he's going to have a linebacker on him. That's a, a huge matchup favor on the Saints side. They, he had a corner on him this time. And Alvin still beat him, and you know it, it wasn't he, it, it wasn't like he, he roasted the guy, but he had a step on him, and it required Drew to make a great throw, which he did, over the top of the defender, no safety help over the top, and you know he just put it on on the spot, and allowed Alvin to go make a play, and he did, and you know three plays later they're in the end zone, and they've got a, a tie ball game and all the momentum on their side, and I, that was such a huge play, and I, I think if if they don't get that, that game has a chance of, of getting out of their hands again. And they've got to change their whole game plan and, and not do this, this great rushing attack that they had and that stuff. Um, so, yeah, absolutely huge play, and I agree. I think if they go on a little run here, we're going to look back at that and say yeah, that was a, a bit of a turning point. Go check it out, NOLA.com, if you want to read about it. Some video breakdown as well from Luke. Saints. Uh, second look at Saints-Lions, how New Orleans won with clutch moments, complimentary football. It's a great piece he had up uh, yesterday afternoon, if you haven't read it yet. Some of you probably already have. It's ESPN1420N.com. I'm Scott Prather. It's the great Scott Show visiting with Luke Johnson about the New Orleans Saints. Um, I, I think, like you mentioned, in terms of if they don't get it, maybe they get behind the eight ball more, and a lot of this – plan to run the football like I hear from fans a lot Luke especially after a loss why didn't they run it more why didn't they run it more and usually I think at least in the last at least this season and I think in the last few seasons you can trace it back to well early on they had a mistake here then they were buying the eight ball and suddenly they were down double digits and the other team held the ball for long periods of time I mean you, you can look at the Las Vegas game and how long the Raiders held the football and like that that expl- that usually explains it. I think when the game's close enough, and there was some panic among Saints fans when you're down fourteen nothing and you're missing all these players, and oh god, are they just going to abandon the run? But it, it based on how the game played out, Peyton really didn't get away from it the whole the whole the whole day, and as a result, the play action was just ripe for the picking. And 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 granted, the Lions' defense hasn't been um, superb this year by any stretch. It's not going to be one of the better defenses they face. But from a physical standpoint, you know, Cesar Ruiz and and Armstead and and Nick Easton, and they were just they were just throwing guys around. I mean, from a from a running standpoint, when you've got a forty one year old in Drew Brees who is still accurate. First two weeks it was a bit off, but but he's he's accurate, right? It's not about arm strength; it's about accuracy. When you've got the play action to set it up, and it helps again. I know I'm rambling when you're playing a team that loves a lot more man principles in terms of the coverage than maybe. You know, a lot of cover, too, like the Packers ran. But it just – it when the Saints' run game is going, I know I'm stating the obvious, Luke, it just seems to open up everything for this offense. I, I think it does. And, you know, in, the Saints' run game was going against the Raiders and the and the Packers. But I, I think I think there is some valid room for criticism there with Sean Payton and that he didn't stick with it. I think they averaged six yards a carry against uh, against both the Raiders and the Packers, but they only ran it about 20 times each game. They ran it as much against uh, against the Lions as they did against the Raiders and the Packers combined when they were averaging six yards a carry. So I think there was a concerted effort in this game to stick with it and to trust those guys. And 
and to know that when you're you're sticking with it that, that everything else is going to open up uh you mentioned play action drew Brees was six for six for 99 yards and a touchdown on play action at 16 and a half yards per attempt and uh 158.3 perfect passer rating um and that that initial touchdown drive when they're down 14 nothing they come out and they go on a 13 play drive that has three passing plays they were just they have the guys both in Kamara and Murray and they have a really good offensive line and you know, the offensive line gets a lot of credit for pass blocking uh because they have two exceptional tackles but they're a really good run blocking team um Easton had a tremendous game uh just there, there was a couple plays where he's just pushing around Danny Shelton, who is 350 pounds. Um, and, you know, I, I think when you're doing that, and they, they weren't ripping off these giant runs. Their longest run was 12 yards. But I think 19, 19 out of the, the you know, 39 runs, if you take away the kneel downs, were for six or more yards. They were just eating up big chunk plays and they were forcing the Lions to respect it. And that, I think, opened things up downfield. You know, it drew average nine and a half yards per passing attempt, which or nine, 9.8, which was his best mark in the last 20, 20 regular season games. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think there's any, there's any doubt that when, when they're doing that, they're operating at their best, most efficient level. And you look at, the first four games of the season, they, they put up season highs in pretty much every meaningful category except for passing yards. Um, you know, they're great on third down. They had nine third downs of six yards or less, and they converted every single one of them, um, including a couple of them on the ground. They, they were just a, a super, super efficient offense on Sunday. And, uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with just trusting your guys to to go out and dominate the line of scrimmage. Luke Johnson, our guest on the beat covering the Saints, ESPN 1420, and with it, the play action opens up. And, you know, whether the Lions were playing man, whether they were playing zone like they were on a, a you know, a, a great play where Breeze hooked up with Traquan Smith, I thought it was his best game as a pro, honestly. And, and I know Alvin Kamara was quick to point out how well Traquan was blocking and he was, but uh, just in the passing game, you know, to take the shot in the ribs, come back, play the way he did, um, it hasn't it hasn't really been smooth for Traquan, you know, since he came into the league. He's had some moments. Uh, I don't know if if last Sunday's game is a big carryover, especially if or uh, and when Michael Thomas comes back to the lineup. But I think it's some big moments when they really needed needed Traquan. He's had his moments, Luke, but in terms of a big moment in a game where a lot of it just fell on him, I, that was last Sunday. We hadn't really seen it yet. That was last Sunday, and to his credit, he he answered the call. I mean, I, I, are you with me here? Do you feel like it was his best game as a pro? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think you could you could make an argument that uh, I think it was against the Redskins maybe a couple years ago, the Washington football team, whatever you want to call them now. It might have been against them. He had, he had like 150 receiving yards. He was against the Eagles, maybe. It was one of the NFC East teams. Um, he had a huge day, uh, and it was because they were down a couple guys and they needed him to step up. But I think if you look at his first two years, he was he was kind of hesitant. Um, he wasn't really playing very confident football. And when Mike went down, they were they were like, okay, you're going to go in Mike's spot. 
and we've seen bits and pieces of it. I thought he played a pretty Raiders, uh, but this game, whenever they needed a big play, they went to him. And uh, yeah, I, I think the the third and five near the end of the fourth quarter, and it's a do or die play. If you don't get it, you're, you're giving the ball back to the Raiders, probably in pretty good field position, and they only need a touchdown to win the game. Um, you know, they he was the primary read on that play. And, uh, and, you know, I think Drew could have gone elsewhere with it. Traquan only had probably a, a step or two on Jeff Okuda. Um, but Drew went to him. Uh, I think that's, that's because they have confidence in him. I think that's because he's been making the plays that they ask him to. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's really, really big. Uh, especially because, I mean, they're going to get Mike back. I, I think they'll get Mike back this week. Um, they're going to get Jared Cook back. Emmanuel Sanders is, is really starting to come into his own. If you have that other guy that you were, you were really confident in and then teams start shifting coverage to Mike or Alvin or Jared Cook down the seam, you, you just have so many guys that you trust that you can throw to. It makes this, this offense really hard to defend, especially if Drew is throwing the ball like he was on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, huge day for Traquan. Not statistically huge, but yeah, every single one of those catches were in big situations. So um, that's that's really really good for the Saints. Last question for on the Saints for Luke Johnson, our friend. Go follow him on Twitter at by Luke Johnson B Y Luke Johnson on the B covering the Saints for the Advocate and Times Picayune and Nola dot com. And uh, Luke Alex Anzalone is someone I was talking to a friend Mal, Ralph Malbro about. I'm like. You know, for Saints fans, there's some things that just, I don't know, with, with you worry about something, and then once you get comfortable, you forget about it for a little while. And Anzalone, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the Saints linebackers, and I'm seeing Davis and Anzalone, and they both played very well this year, uh, in my opinion. And the deal with Anzalone is you go back to his high school days. I mean, you can go all the way back to there. He's had one fully healthy season for the most part, and that was in 2018. Other than that... He's had season-ending injuries or injuries that certainly keep him off the field for long periods of time. And then I'm looking at other linebackers and how much Dennis Allen loves to play five DBs, sometimes six, that really you're not going to see three linebackers on the field for the Saints. If you do, it's, it's, it's rare. It's, just, it's certainly not the norm. So <laughs> Anzalone's playing good. He's healthy. It's kind of like out of sight, out of mind in terms of when he's there and, and the longer he plays, you forget about maybe his injury history. But Zach Bond, I think, had like one snap. He's a rookie. You know what Craig Robertson, you know some of the other guys, and you see a little bit of Caden Ellis on special teams, but I just feel like if Davis, of course, goes out, everyone knows there's a drop-off, but I feel like with Anzalone as well. Um, you know, and I, I know I realize he had two penalties the other day. Both of them were, I, I wasn't, I didn't, at best questionable. I think you, you pointed that out in your column uh, what's Alex like with the media and, and what just more of, again, a general question, Luke, what are your thoughts on his game whenever he is healthy and on the field? Yeah. I, to answer your first part, I, I think, um, Alex is a, a really genuinely pleasant person to be around. Um, you know, he's, he's talked to us a lot this year. Um, and, you know, I, I think he's just a, a friendly, nice guy. Um, it's always kind of refreshing to talk to him. Um, as far as his play, yeah, he's he's a really really good complement to uh, Demario Davis out there, especially when you're looking at the modern NFL. Uh, you, you can't have you can't have just these big bruiser linebackers anymore. 
when you're going up against teams that'll spread you out and and that have guys who can catch a ball out of the backfield and tight ends that run like receivers and uh, you, you need athletes and he is absolutely one of those guys um yeah i i think his two penalties that he got you know they were big penalties um one of them wiped away an interception the other one gave uh detroit i think a first and goal but i I, I think those were just him being in, in good position to make a play and, and his athleticism getting him in a, in a position to make a play. So, I, I mean, I really think if he can stay healthy, he's, he's not going to have huge stats um, just because of the type of defense they play. Um, but I think he's really a, a kind of a critical piece of that defense because he doesn't there's, – there's no weak spots. There's there's no guy you can point at and say, okay, he's a liability in coverage. We're going to go after him. Um, you know, Alex, Alex is really solid, and yeah, I think it's really only a matter of time before he starts making like these these big kind of game changing plays because, um, you know, again, there's there's not really a lot of weak spots. So if you want to go after somebody, I guess you go after Anzalone, and and uh, you know he'll probably be in position to make some plays here and there. He's a, he's a really good player. I think he's one of the better athletes on the team. It's just a matter of when he's out on the field. Uh, but when he is, he's he's such a difference maker. Luke Johnson has been our guest. Well, I was going to talk to you about the boys, the Amazon Prime show, but I know you and uh, your wife haven't totally caught up yet. Season finale is supposed to be available sometime tomorrow night. But a friend of mine who listens texted me, uh, I guess, I don't know, one or two days after you and I talked, he's like, wow, now I can't stop watching the show. Of course, it was season one, which was great. He's like, I'm glad you guys talked about it. I'm like obsessed now. So we got one person on it. Not going to talk about this season. Don't want to spoil anything, certainly for you or the listeners. So I'll go back to something we usually talk about, and that is uh, whether it be war movies or TV shows. And truth is, Luke, ever since I had kids, I I have a little time. I can usually squeeze in like an episode of TV at night sometimes whether it be like a short show or like maybe at best some nights an hour long show, but that's it. Like it's hard. I don't remember the last time I sat down and was able to watch a whole movie, like all the way through. Like now, if I want to watch a movie, it takes me like five sittings. So I guess I don't get the full effect. Um, so I haven't really watched it, but I notice whether it be on Netflix or prime or, you know, whether, you know, HBO go like midway or, the Five Bloods or 1917 or The Outpost. Have you seen any good ones in the last six months that you would recommend? Man, no. I'm in the same boat as you. I've been trying to get my my wife to watch 1917 for months now, and it's just like it's it's like a three-hour movie that, that is like a commitment, you know? <laughs> and it's, we, we can never really seem to find the time where we, we can both sit down and watch a long movie. I will say... I watched like the first like uh, I don't know forty minutes of it on on a flight uh, recently. I think it was it was, it was during my Vegas flight, and uh, and then we connected flights and it, it wasn't available. Was on it. The oh, flight, and I was really upset. That's the cool. first forty minutes of it, I, I can say, are very good. <laughs> All right, so Luke recommends <laughs> the first up, like, forty to minutes. Be a, a, a pretty pretty good movie. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tommen. From uh, from Game of Thrones is one of the main characters in it, which it took me a long time. Like, why is his face so familiar? Um, but yeah, outside of that, I, I haven't really been able to to really sink my teeth into anything long. Like we we've been watching a lot of like you know, forty five minute shows, like a lot of the boys. 
We've been really getting into in a new girl lately, which is the direct opposite of a war movie or show. That is correct. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, been really enjoying that and the twenty-three minute episodes that we can you know, watch one or two of them and then go to bed. There you go. It, it's crazy though. Like like we 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 are confined to our house, like everybody else is. Um, and you'd think that would open up more time to, you know, kind of immerse yourself in these, these worlds and, and, um, you know, for people who have not experienced war and, and like a completely foreign world and, and something they never will have to experience. Um, but somehow, some way it's not actually working out that way, which is really interesting. Uh, maybe it's just like a product of like, like you said, movies, it's silly. That used to be the escape. Now somehow they, f- they feel like commitments especially long ones, whereas you're like, you know what, let's just... But if you're watching, like, a good show and it ends on a cliffhanger or you're laughing a lot, you're like, I could squeeze one more of these in. And then maybe you've watched an hour and a half. You're like, well, we could have actually watched most of this movie. I don't know. Yeah. Like, for me... Yeah, I I, we, we burned through the entire the entire show, Homeland, in, like, a month well, and a half. Yeah, well, that, like that's binge watching where it's right like there. an hour, hour episode each. You Love know? that one. And, and, and we still can't. The first season of that, I mean, watch a movie. I don't know. We watched Homeland episodically, which I don't know if it's an actual word, but just like as it came on, like each year, like week to week. Um, But man, great show, really good show. It had some seasons that were better than others, but season one will always just be that's that is tough television to beat, right there. Yeah, absolutely. Damian Lewis is great in that. Uh, However. It, it is like making it weird every time I, I randomly see Claire Danes and another, yeah. <laughs> another like pop culture or whatever. You're like um, Carrie, I, Carrie. Like I, I ran, I stunt, I was on the road and I was like, I, I just need something. I'm, I'm going to watch like 20 minutes of and be like, okay, I'm done. Uh, and that ended up being like the third Terminator, like the really bad one. And Claire Danes was in it. And I was like, Oh my God, it's Claire Danes. It's uh, yeah, it's her. Good stuff, man. Uh, Luke Johnson, our guest, ESPN1420.com. Go follow him on Twitter, everybody, at ByLukeJohnson, Johnson. Check out all his stuff. The Times-Picune and The Advocate, NOLA.com. If you want to go straight to there, click on Sports, click on Saints. You can get all of his great content along with the other great writers over there covering the New Orleans Saints. Appreciate you joining us this morning, man. You guys stay safe, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you probably in a couple of weeks or so. Sounds great, Scott. Thanks for having me on. You got it.